Good morning. The scripture for today is from the second chapter of 2 Thessalonians, beginning at the 13th verse. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to, to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teaching we, teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning, Team Alleluia. I'm Pastor Tim. Great to have you here on this weekend. Thank you for being here today as we launch a new sermon series called the Alleluia Playbook. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. Um, I'd like you to watch a, a short video. Uh, a, a CEO, author, uh, uh, and uh, professor in college, uh, David Bentall uh, from Canada, has something to share about uh, organizations and a shared vision. Let's take a look at this video. Often families don't have a shared vision. They're so busy building the business, so busy working day to day in the company, they don't think about the long-term vision. If I think about our own family example, my dad and my uncle worked together for 40 years. They worked wonderfully well together. My dad was the outside guy. He was the salesman, the, the chief uh, rainmaker for the company. My uncle was the inside guy. He was into professional management and strategic planning, and so they were a wonderful complement. Together they built a company that was one of the leading real estate and construction companies in Canada. Uh, uh, in my dad's later years, the company was voted one of the 100 best companies to work for in Canada, and they had this wonderful success. But they had no shared visions to what they were doing this for. Where were they taking this rocket ship they'd built? And so as uh, tragically looking back on it, my dad and my uncle were building an enterprise and they each had a completely different vision as to where they were taking it. My dad's vision was that the family business would be passed down to our generation to own and manage. A legitimate vision, I think. My uncle's vision, equally legitimate, was that he wanted to take the company public and give all the money to charity. But you can see they were on a collision course. They had radically different ideas of why they were doing what they were doing. And so at the end of the day, uh, it became a contest of wills. And the, tragically, my dad and my uncle, after working together for 40 years, lost their relationship and the family business was ultimately sold. And uh, my dad and my uncle's relationships were, were destroyed. A shared vision, so important for any organization. Vision is a powerful tool. Vision is something a church needs to be conscious of as well. Helen Keller once said, something worse than being blind would be to be able to see and have no vision. Walt Disney passed away before Walt Disney World in Florida opened and at the ribbon-cutting ceremony, uh, Mike Vance, someone on his executive team, was there, and he overheard a guest 
say, isn't it sad Walt never got to see this? And Mike Vance said uh, respectfully to the person he overheard say that, he said, oh, Walt saw this. That's why we're here today. Vision. Seeing where something is heading. Seeing uh, where we are going. The rudder in a ship of any organization in a church is no exception. We have a mission statement here at Alleluia to enable all to come, connect, and commit to Jesus. We have core values that keep us on track to live that out. But what is our vision? Where is God leading us? And, and those of you in the business world know this question. A vision statement, where a mission statement is what, is what is the company to do or the organization to do. A vision is who are we supposed to be? Where are we going? And we heard about in the video when there's conflicting visions within an organization, how that doesn't work out so well. The Bible says this in Proverbs, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where God's people don't have a vision for where God is leading them, there is struggle. We have an exciting opportunity on fall kickoff weekend in the series that we're going to be spending the next three weeks on to be dealing uh, with that vision. So I'd like you to uh, take out your playbook if you got one of these. And this is going to be our sermon guide for the next three weekends together. On the front cover, you see the playbook there, and it's for the 2019-20 season. We're entering a new season of, of uh, Alleluia that runs from September through August of next summer. And we have three phases to think about. There are three phases uh, in football, and it's offense, defense, and special teams. Today, um, we're going to be opening the page, the front left-hand column. It says week one. You've got today's scripture reading. So I'd like to go back to that with you. 2 Thessalonians 2 on the inside of the the left-hand column on the inside of the playbook. St. Paul writes, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. You might be interested to know that Paul, St. Paul, who wrote this letter to the first century believers in Thessalonica, only wrote it because of a vision he had from God previously. While Paul in the first part of the first century was making his way west across what's now modern-day Turkey, Paul was almost to the west-hand side of that landmass. And he wanted to go into another town, but the book of Acts says the Lord did not allow him to. So that night he went to sleep, and in his sleep he had a vision from God. His vision was that a man from Macedonia, across the waterway, on the other side, in Europe, said to him in the vision, Paul, come to Macedonia and preach to us and teach us the gospel. And when Paul awoke, knowing that was a vision from the Lord, he went. 
when God gives his people a vision, we are to follow it. Roman numeral one of your playbook for today, the game plan, our new vision statement. Uh, Late summer, early fall of 2018, our staff had a retreat and we spent some time beginning to craft a vision statement. We went through uh, prayer and an exercise of listening prayer. And if you don't know what listening prayer is, you know, prayer is a two-way conversation. And often we just think it's one way, us speaking to God. And we tried listening prayer, invited the staff to, to come up with and see if, if the Holy Spirit would be, would be pressing thoughts or words or images related to our vision statement. And then we whiteboarded those things and then we brought them to our church council and then our church council did the same exercise. Our council sat around the table together listening for the Spirit to lead us and they shared their words and images they sensed in that time of prayer. Sent it back to the staff, staff back to the council, council back to the staff. It was a cyclical process where both, both groups were like, all right, let's just finish this. No, they didn't say that. And we came up with what's in your playbook and what's on the screen. So whether you're looking at the screen or you want to read it from your playbook under Roman numeral one, here's the vision statement where God led us in that exercise. And here it is. Let's read it out loud. To be a Christ-centered and welcoming community, embracing and sharing God's grace, hope, and unconditional love. This is the rudder in the ship. This is the direction. Who is God calling us to be? The first half, separated by that semicolon, to be a Christ-centered community. Christ-centered first. Always centered on our faith in Jesus. To be a welcoming community. To welcome all people. We'll address these uh, components of the vision statement in the weekends to come, but today we're going to look more at the second half. Embracing and sharing gifts from God. His grace, his hope, his love. Not just embracing them, but what? What's it say? Say it out loud. Sharing. It would be one thing to just take them in and keep them to ourselves. It's entirely another to share them with those around us. And so it was a wonderful process, and it doesn't replace our mission statement because, again, a mission statement is what we're being called to do. Our vision is who is God calling us to be? What kind of community of faith here in this particular time, in this particular place, in this part of history, in the community of faith called Alleluia? Well, if we move to Roman numeral number two, high-powered offense. This is something that Bears fans thought we had before Thursday night. <laughs> but moving to matters of faith and much more important, we have these three things to consider this morning. Embracing them and sharing them with others. The first is uh, letter A, grace. Everyone say grace. Grace. The same author of our letter to Thessalonians in the first century uh, also wrote uh, many other letters. He wrote uh, letters to believers in Corinth, and he wrote this, that God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for in 
my, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. St. Paul was wrestling with a, a sin he had in his life, and he kept turning it over to God in prayer, and, and he heard God say to him, my grace is sufficient for you. And we are to embrace that gift of God as well. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense on the cross. It's all about the cross. God's grace comes to us because he loved us so much. He sent Jesus into the world to die on this cross for your sins and mine. That is the moment in history where God's love had its most profound expression. God giving his son to die for our sins because we could never pay the price. My grace, God says to each of us here today, is sufficient for each one of you in your brokenness, in your sin. We live in the promise of eternal life. We live in God's promises of grace. It's nothing we do. It's not religious hoop jumping. It's not checking up Checking, up enough, uh, checking off enough good, good works. It's not being good enough because here's the truth of faith. For anyone who struggled with their faith, you can't be good enough, but you can receive freely God's gift of grace. And the power in this high-powered offense as a community of faith is understanding first and foremost the power doesn't come from us. It comes from God, and that's grace. Letter B is hope. Everyone say hope. Paul writes in Romans, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our hope trusts in God, our Heavenly Father. How many of you had a toddler or had a toddler who would hear you come home and run to you from the steps and leap into your arms as if you ever had a child do that or a grandchild or you did it as a kid, raise your hand right now. You, you, they leap and they trust. We had a split-level home uh, when we lived in Minnesota, six, six steps up, six steps down to all the four levels of the house. And, and A.J. heard me come home when he was a little guy. He'd just yell, Daddy, come run into the top of the steps. And he just, I have my briefcase, I have a cup. He just leap. You just take off. And I grab him. It's getting really hard now that he's 20 and we have more stairs, so... One time in particular, when he was a little guy, and I had the briefcase on my shoulder and the coffee in my hand, that well, it was empty thermos, but you get the picture, and he heard me, and he's like, Daddy! He comes running, he leaps, and I just barely got, I mean, I just barely caught him. I go, AJ, what were you thinking? I knew you'd catch me. Hope in our Heavenly Father knows God will catch us. When we're broken by sin, he catches us and says, I forgive you. When we're at the end of our rope, he catches us and says, I have good plans for you, plans not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future, as he said through the prophet Jeremiah. When we're sick, mentally, physically sick. He catches us. And whether we're healed in this lifetime or the next, 
We have healing through faith in Christ. In Revelation, the Bible presents a picture of heaven where there will be no more suffering, no more pain. The Lord himself will be there with us. He will catch us. That is our hope. An incredible gift from God. Again, not our hope. Not hope we muster up. Not hope we come up with. Not false hope that the world offers. But hope in our Savior, Jesus Christ, and a God who loves us. The third part, and finally, love. The Bible says this is the most important thing, the most important gift from God. We spent a whole uh, sermon series last month talking about this type of what the Greek would call agape love. It's divine love. It's sacrificial love. It's a love that comes from God. Not human love, but a divine love. And And Jesus in Matthew 22 says, love your neighbor as yourself. That sounds great, Jesus. Do you know how hard that is sometimes? I mean, it sounds great. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, but really, when you're in the express lane and that person ahead of you takes out the checkbook, hard to love that person in that moment. You're in the left-hand lane and the car in front of you is driving eight miles under the speed limit. Do you know how hard it is to love that person? People have shown up today at Hallelujah on fall kickoff weekend wearing green and gold. Do you know how hard it is to love those people? But all kidding aside, and all joking aside, if we peel back all the layers, we know exactly the neighbor or neighbors that we wrestle with to love. But Jesus calls us to a higher calling, a vision to love people, even when our human nature says, I can't or I won't. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's like a glass of water being poured up with God's agape love, and it just pours over the side. It just spills over. Think of that person of faith in your life that you know that their love for the Lord just oozes out of them. It just spills over. It's just, it's a love that's just so incredible. You just know they have God's love pouring into them and out of them. And that's these three things on the board in our high-powered offense is Hallelujah Church. But it's not our power, it's God's power, his gifts of grace, hope, and love. And if we embrace that, as our vision says, then we can share it. It just pours out. We don't even have to, it just sort of happens. Because as a people of faith, it just spills over. And when it spills over, lives are changed. And when lives are changed, people start to know and understand the love of God for them in Christ Jesus. Roman numeral three, it's our theme for this program year as we launch a new year together. It's on the banner and it's now on the screen. Everyone say, light of the world. Jesus talks about this in two different ways. It's, it's really cool. The first thing he says is, I am the light of the world. He says in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That is a radical thing for someone to say. I am the light of the world. Try that at the next family reunion. Try that at work tomorrow. Walk into your place of work and go, good morning, I'm the light of the world. Radical thing to say. But when God takes human form in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, it is God in flesh. 
And he is the light in the darkness, the darkness of sin and death and suffering. And he says, I'm that light, and whoever follows me will never walk in the darkness, but have the light of life. The darkness of not believing. The darkness of being outside of faith. If you follow me, you'll always be in the light of truth and faith in me as Lord and Savior. But he doesn't leave it here now. This, this is the second, the second thing now that he says about the light of the world is just, it's mind-boggling. But here's what he said. In Matthew, he says, you are the light of the world. A city on top of a hill can't be hidden. A city at night all lit up that's built on the side or on top of a hill, you can't, you can't hide that. So let your light shine before others so that they will see your good deeds, your good works, and give glory to not you, but to your Father in heaven, Jesus says. So first he says, I'm the light of the world, but then he, he really says something incredibly powerful. You are the light of the world. In your home. In your relationships. In your community, throughout the world. How is God calling you to be the light of the world? How is God calling you to embrace that light first, the gifts of God, of grace, hope, and love, and then having that spill over for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of others knowing the Lord? That's the beauty of a vision. That's the beauty of the direction God is sending us as a church. I want to close with the final story. Back in the day, and I mean back in the day, back in the day where there were dime stores with everything and the shopkeeper and the old-fashioned cash register, the manual one. His favorite customer had come in with her young son, and she brought her goods to the counter, and he pushed the buttons down, he cranked it down, and she paid him. And as this was happening, he looked at the little guy, and he says, go ahead. He was pointing to the bowl of penny candy. And he says, go ahead, grab a handful. The little guy didn't move. No, I mean it. Go ahead. It's on me. You don't have to pay for it. Your mom doesn't have to pay. Just dig in there. Finally, after more coaxing and encouragement and the little guy not moving an inch, the shopkeeper reached down into the bowl and grabbed a handful and the little guy put his hands out and the shopkeeper dropped the candy into his hands. Out the door with mom. Mom looks down. What was that all about, honey? I knew he had a bigger hand than I do. Sisters and brothers in Christ, God has a bigger hand than you do. And his gifts are powerful. And he calls you and he calls us as a community of faith to open our hands and freely receive those gifts. God reaches in grace 
open hands to receive. God reaches in. Hope. Receive. God reaches in. Love. Receive it. Embrace it. But don't leave your hands here. Once we embrace and receive these powerful gifts from God, share them with those around you for the sake of Christ. That's a vision I want to be a part of. How about you? Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your servant, St. Paul, who shared the faith through proclamation and through his writings to help advance the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, throughout the ancient world. Lord, we know from Scripture that Paul received your good gifts and shared them freely with those around him. As your church today, in 2019, Lord, help us to be about your vision, about embracing your free gifts, but then not keeping them to ourselves, Lord, but sharing them with those around us, and not just those in our comfort zone, Lord, not just those we like, but especially those that your Son calls us to love as we do ourselves. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and we all said together, Amen.